It's time for the Creative Real Estate Podcast, your source for out-of-the-box real estate investing strategies brought to you by ecospace.com. Now, here's your hosts, Adam and Jason. All right, today we are here with Joshua Morse, somebody who's been a friend of mine for three or four years. I remember meeting him a long, long time ago. He had this gorgeous truck and it was wrapped with I buy houses, I buy houses, I buy houses. And I was thinking about trying to do wholesaling, which by the way, I was terrible at. I spent at least four months of my time trying to be a wholesaler, at least $15,000, probably 25, just marketing dollars. And that we made one wholesale and we made five or six grand on it and split it three ways. After four months and spending a ton of money, we realized that that wasn't our focus. And that's why we're really focused on multifamily. But that day that I called this man and I was like, hey, I want to I want to learn more about you so I can wholesale my deals to you. And well, before that, I had been in real estate for a long time, but it was it was sitting down with this awesome guy who who is one of the most straight shooters you will ever meet in your whole life. Just a phenomenal guy. He, he doesn't BS ever, right? And he just tells you like it is. And what I learned from him is that this is the type of person that you can resonate with, right? Who just tells it like it is, who who has no BS, no fluff. It's just what it is. So I learned a ton from him and I've, I've stayed in contact with him for a long time. In fact, every year that we have a Blue Spruce Christmas party or a winter party, depending on what part of the world you're in, whenever we have this winter party, I've invited Joshua and one of his partners here in Denver to come to the event. And anyway, so I'm really pleased and excited to share Joshua Morse with you today. What we're going to learn is not only just the incredible things that he's done. I mean, just to give you an example, he repositioned two fourplexes. How long did it take you to reposition those two fourplexes? Uh, both were less than a year. Less than a year, made a hundred grand on each. I don't know if you just heard that. But he's been doing wholesales and fix and flips. And then he goes, hey, uh, let's reposition some fourplexes. Let's raise the rents. Let's update some countertops, update some flooring. And just makes a hundred grand on each one in less than a year. I don't know about you, that, but that's a pretty good year. That's a pretty yeah. good year. And so he is absolutely a seven-figure fix and flipper, a real estate professional, He's done some amazing things. Okay, so what are we going to learn? We're going to learn that when you're controlling, when you're asking questions, that's when you're controlling the conversation. I have seen too many of you, and yes, I'm probably talking to you if you can hear me, and you're wearing your earbuds right now, listening to the podcast, you could probably say to yourself, he's talking to me, and he's telling me that I tell, I talk way too much. I don't ask enough questions, and that's true, but you're going to learn how to ask the questions from Joshua Moore. So Joshua, take us back to the very first real estate deal you ever did. What sure. was that yeah. real estate deal? Yeah, thank you for having me, uh, Adam. So the first real estate deal I ever did was a property that I got off of Craigslist just from posting ads on Craigslist side by house. Basically, make the story short, but basically got the guy under contract. It was a pretty big remodel. Didn't really know what to do besides just getting it under contract. Once I did that, then I was like, all right, well, I guess now it's time to wholesale this property. And that's when it went into marketing it on Craigslist and finding buyers uh, for the property. So I'll give you the small, or basically I'll tell you the end part of it. Basically, we ended up double closing the property and making $48,500 on a wholesale in less than a month. Your first deal, you made 48 
thousand five hundred dollars. Mm-hmm. Yes, sir. That's insane. I love that. All right, so let's let's go into this. So you're running a business of wholesaling and fix and flipping, and you're doing it like a monster. And by the way, I love your social media, and so does probably everybody else. They're always they're always watching you. You've got a lot of fans, and so here you are on on social media, letting everybody know what you're doing. You're attracting partners. People are saying, "Hey, what would it look like if I if I brought you some money?" And you're having all these conversations when you're at, when you're working with your buyers for your wholesale deals. And like we talked about in the pre-interview, you might have a thousand buyers easily on your list, but when there's a thousand buyers, you might only have two percent of them, twenty people that are actually going to be doing the business. Yeah. And, and I loved it in the pre-interview. We really talked about how you vet them. So if you could just take us take us to the part where you're a successful wholesaler and you have a thousand people on your buyers list, but 980 of them will <laughs> never buy. Sure. So say we have a thousand, a thousand buyers on our list. Say you get a hundred calls, right? Usually, especially in the beginning, we get that all the time. We don't have a preferred buyers list, which is your main buyers. So we get all these calls and people are just trying to either just see the property, window shop you, ask you questions that don't make any sense, just all types of random questions. So I go into, I've learned over time to ask my vetting questions. And basically I, I just talked to him. I'm like, okay, you know, uh, why are you interested in this property? You know, how many properties do you do a year? You know, how do you fund your property? Right? Like when you buy these assets, how do you fund them? What else do I ask? All types of stuff. Just, you know, how many do you move? You know, how many, how many do you actually do rehabs on? You know, why are you interested in this one? I mean, there's so, there's so many different questions that I ask. But you can usually find out from just a couple questions how serious someone is and what they're doing. All right, so let's go right there. Let's go right there and just let's just talk about four of the questions that you said. You probably said five or six, but let's just go to four of them that the ones that I was able to get down and sure. And let's talk about what a a real buyer would say and what uh, nine hundred and eighty <laughs> of them would say. Sure. So why are you interested in? this property. Okay. So let's say someone that's serious would be like, well, you know, usually they try to hype themselves up anyway. So like, yeah, I flip X amount of properties a month. I'm just trying to flip another property. Uh, Someone that's not serious is, oh, well, you know, I'm thinking about partnering with someone and maybe flipping it or, you know, I might have a buyer for you, but I have to talk to him or it's always different, but yeah. (laughs) Okay. When you ask how many properties do you do a year? What does a serious person say? And what does, uh, you know, a, a, a tire kicker say? Sure. Uh, a serious person would probably say something like, you know, I'm flipping, you know, one to two properties a month and I'm a full-time investor and this is what I do. Uh, someone that doesn't, or someone that's a tire kicker is probably like, oh, this is my first deal. And I do want to say there's nothing wrong if that's your first deal or whatever, but, but it'll go into the next question about funding. But uh, usually they'll say, oh, it's my first deal or I want to look at it first. When, when are you showing it so you can show me? Just, yeah, and, and usually you can catch it pretty quick. <laughs> awesome. And I, I have a big point to make after we go through these last two questions. Okay, so when you say, how do you usually fund these deals? What does is, what is a legit person say versus the 980? Sure, so someone legit will be like, they'll usually say, yeah, I have a HELOC, I have private funding or I have hard money. I do this all the time. I, I, I got plenty of resources or someone that's not serious or a tire kicker, man, they'll ask you, can you own or finance it to me? Can we put a certain amount down or 
I mean, it's so situational, but yeah, you usually can tell. <laughs> All right, last one, last one. And it, you say, how many, how many of these do you keep and how many do you wholesale? How many do you rehab yeah. yourself? How many are you, are you wholesaling? So what, is, what does the beginner say and, and then what does the uh, legit buyer say? So there's a couple of scenarios here. And one thing, and no offense to anyone that moves a lot of real estate and they're big wholesalers, but one thing I run into is like, yeah, you know, my company, we sell 500 properties a year or, or, you know, I flip 10 or I sell 10 a week. You know, that, that immediately tells me they're probably a massive wholesaler, which nothing wrong with that industry, but I'm looking for the person that's going to truly buy that. Not saying that they can't, but I want that buyer, which is technically their buyer. That makes sense. So usually someone that does a lot of real estate, they'll say, I mean, I've ran into all different levels of people, uh, people that flip 35 a year to a hundred to they do one a month and they do very well. But you can usually tell from the way that they talk if they're capable of actually buying the property. Someone that isn't serious. Yeah. I mean, they'll just say, yeah, like I've, I've never done any or, you know, I'm looking to do like an undercarry or something like that. So you, you know, or, or you'll hear them stutter or they don't know what to say, or they'll say certain things that I can't really think off the top of my head what they would say, but it's usually a pretty big indicator. Love it. Okay. So here's the thing. Most of my audience is doing multifamily, but I'm asking you these questions for a very, very specific reason. It's because everybody can learn from this in any part of negotiation. You can learn from this. So here's, here is the learning lesson when we're talking about finding qualified buyers for your wholesales, that would, that would add value to anybody, regardless if you're doing multifamily or not, is listen carefully what Joshua Morris is doing. He is putting up a barrier to even buy the house. Yep. And he gets a, a lot of buyers. And here's the thing. Okay, so when, when most newbie wholesalers are trying to find buyers, they don't ask these questions. They don't control the conversation. They get really needy. Most brand new wholesalers who don't have the experience and the qualifications that Joshua has, they don't ask qualifying questions because they're they're in need of finding buyers and they don't understand their worth. And they by not qualifying the buyer, they actually put themselves in a bad position. So that's what I want you to learn here is what a different wholesaler might be doing is instead of saying, why are you interested in this one? They would be like, you need to be interested in this one. Instead of saying, how many do you do a year is like, hey, can this one be your first one? Or I don't care. Just be the buyer. I need a buyer. Or when they say, how do you fund them? They, they wouldn't care. They would just be like, hey, I'll owner finance it, whatever you need, right? And how, how many do you rehab? How many do you keep? Would never be a question that a brand new wholesaler would ask their buyer. But when you find a way to put a barrier between you and the buyers and you are able to get a higher quality buyer, you have found a way to make your life a lot easier. So you ask these few questions and then you go in for the kill. Now watch how we transition this exact methodology of putting up a barrier between uh, somebody coming to buy a property from you versus a passive equity partner or a passive debt partner coming into your deal. Because what Joshua Morris is doing is genius, literally genius. And the way that he is working with his, with his lenders is something that you're going to learn a ton about. So, 
when we were talking about Joshua, when we were talking about in the, in the pre-interview, mm-hmm. and, and I remember this is when it clicked for me. I was like, this is what we got to talk about. You were talking about private money lenders. And I said, I said, what is the, you know, what are the main things that you need to do when figuring out who to have for a private money lender? And the first thing you said is you just really need to ask them questions. So let's, let's just go there and talk about the success that you've had in Colorado and also in North Carolina with, and you and Kyle Mm -hmm. have had by finding real private money lenders by putting up that barrier. If you could just kind of take it from there. So either when I'm talking to someone that's interested in lending us money, I usually ask them why. Like, why do you even want to lend your money? And then what makes you want to lend your money in real estate with an investor? Usually you can really figure out what they want. Now, sometimes these people will say, well, you know, uh, I think it's a great way for me to get into real estate and it's a great way that I can manage the property or oversee it. Usually we don't want people to, to be able to asset manage our assets. Uh, they're more private, you know, they're silent partners in a sense. Then we find out like, you know, realistically, how much money do you actually want to invest? You know, don't give me your high number. Give me your lowest number because, and you know, Adam, you raise money. They say, oh, I can give you half a million. And then when it comes down to, you know, when, when it comes down to borrowing a half a million, they might got a hundred thousand or they might not lend at all. So I, I want to kind of talk to them and really figure out first of all, how serious are they? How much do they truly, like how much can they actually lend? If, if it works out for both of us and it's an advantageous agreement for both of us, that's usually the co- first couple questions I ask. And then I'll do a couple trial periods. I'll give them a smaller project, maybe a hundred grand, just see if they can come through. But I have a backup lender right behind them. If they don't come through that, uh, if they don't come through, I have someone that can fund it immediately. So, all right. So this is, this is incredible. Now, hopefully the listener is learning these things. Most people that are raising money are coming from a position of need. They, they don't put up this wall. They don't put up this bar- bar- barrier. They don't ask, why do you want to invest? Why do you want to invest in real estate? Why do you want to be passive? Why do you want to put it with somebody like me who's flipping these properties? And realistically, how much do you want to invest? Other people, and think about a magnet for a moment. Think about a magnet and actually two different magnets. And if you put them if you put one of the magnets facing this way and the other one facing that way, they will repel each other. They will stay away from each other. That means if you push too much, you're going to lose your passive investor. You have to first turn around and put up a position where you don't need the money. It's very, very important. So Josh was asking, why do you want to do this? Why do you want to be in real estate? Why do you want to be passive? Why do you want to put it with someone like me? And then when after they've had to answer all these questions, he's like, okay, realistically, how much do you want to invest? And again, he, he says, not, not how much do you have in the bank, but realistically, the smallest amount of money that you legit are ready to get rid of. Mm-hmm. And if you qualify, if the person qualifies with all five of these questions and he understands how serious they are and how much they want to lend, then he's then he gets them into a trial period of maybe do like a hundred grand into into the next deal and make sure that he has a, a backup, which by the way is a learning lesson in itself. So let me ask you, Joshua, why do you need to have a backup when you're looking at something like a hundred grand? Did you, did you get burned once? 
Um, I wouldn't say got burned, but things sometimes don't go the way that you plan them. So I, I, I like to be extra safe, I guess. So that's why I have my, my backup, whether it's 50 grand or uh, a $400,000 project or whatever amount. Um, I just like to know that I have a backup in case that person does fall out. So. Okay. Okay. All right. And then we were talking about sellers as well. So let's, let's go into this. And just for the listener, I, I, we, we didn't specifically talk about that Joshua pre-qualifies his sellers. Yeah. <laughs> but I can 99% say that we're going to find that he has some specific questions that he, he will be asking the seller before he's even willing to buy the property. So totally. let, let me roll the dice and see if I'm right on this one, Joshua. What are the questions you ask your sellers? So there's, obviously it's a lot, but you know, I ask, um, how long have you been thinking about selling your property? Why do you want to sell your property? If you were to sell your property, what would you do next? Do you have a plan? Where would you move? I, I, obviously, I go in the condition of the property. We don't need to do all that. But you know, if, it, if it's a multifamily owner, like right now I'm hitting anywhere from four to 70 units. Why do you want to sell your 30 unit building? You know, I ask, you know, what's the rents, this, that, the other, but I really gauge motivation. What really, why? And when they say one thing, I just say, well, why is that? Or why would you do that? The more information or the more data that you can collect from the seller or the, the lender, whoever you're working with just in general, uh, the better off you're going to be able to uh, be and be able to pro- provide the right product and service. So one of the things that I've learned uh, from doing sales, not just intuitively, but do I mean specifically taking, I was on, you know, I was selling religion for two years in a row, door to door to door, and with a church that taught me a lot of random sales things. And then I went and sold something else door to door. And then I went and sold something else door to door. So I'm selling home securities every single year. And the sales team, we had this one, uh, what they, we had this one thing that we talked about all the time. And in the beginning, it didn't make sense. So if you're listening and this doesn't yet make sense, it's okay. But in the beginning, people were saying he or she who asks the questions controls the conversation. I remember being like, no, that, that's stupid, right? You should not waste your time asking a bunch of random questions. You just need to give them your, you know, elevator pitch. And I learned the more that you give them an elevator pitch and push and push and push like that magnet, you're just repelling them. You have to find a way to turn around and start qualifying your buyers, start qualifying your sellers, start qualifying your lenders. And I know it sounds backwards to a lot of people that are like, I just really need the money. Like, why would I ever push them away? You have to. You have to turn around, reverse your magnetism for actually attract these people to you. So as Josh was talking about, he goes into the project. Most people would be like, why would I care like how long they've been wanting to sell? I just want to buy the property. So let's talk about other things. But Joshua, this is actually preparing him to be able to have more ammunition, more preparedness, more ways of pushing on hot spots on the buttons that they need in order to be able to sell. So he's like, how long have you been thinking about selling this? Why would you sell a 40 unit, 30 unit, 70 unit like this? And then when you sell it, like what's next? What are you going to do with money? Where are you going to go? And as he understands these, the answers to these questions, it gives him the ability to actually pull the trigger and say one thing, I bet you, Joshua, you probably have a giant success in this. 
after you ask enough questions, you, you see a solution in your mind and you're like, okay, well, let's do this. It'll solve your problem. And you probably say it just like that. Let's solve your problem this way. It's never about you. It's always about the seller. It's always about the lender. It's always about the buyer. Mm-hmm. How, how yeah. accurate is that? Yeah, no, you're pretty spot on. <laughs> so, I, and the thing too that, uh, the reason why I ask all these questions is because now you can position your offer with what they want. Every offer is different. Maybe they need to do an owner occupancy agreement or maybe, I mean, the situation is always different. We don't need to get into them, but now you can actually position your offer to make it more enticing than a higher offer that they may have because they didn't vet the person properly. Love that. Now, here's here's what I want to put you on the spot for right now. And I know this is going to be difficult because there's <laughs> so many different people listening. Sure. And what you do is incredibly intuitive. You may or may not have taken, you know, people beating this through your skull like I did for years and years and years and years. You have to ask the questions if you're going to control the conversation. Mm-hmm. To me, that's just like I have, you know, nightmares about this stuff. But I, I feel like you're more intuitive. I feel like you just understand that if you, if you understand more about them, that you can help them bet easier. The question would be, there are so many people listening right now, hundreds or even thousands and thousands of people that probably don't have the same natural skills and abilities of asking the question. So what advice would you give to somebody who, who is completely opposite from you if you wanted to teach them how to do your, how to implement the same type of skills that you have been in sales? Sure. Um, if, if you have no experience in sales or, or just in general, no experience in real estate, start learning sales, start learning like NLP or um, learn just, there's a lot of good stuff like um, the greatest salesman by Augment Vito or something like that. There's, there's really good sales stuff that you can learn just right off YouTube. And, you know, I'm always perfecting my stuff. I, I've, I've, everything I do now is just stuff I've taken from different people, whether it was from John Martinez or Ogmandino or whoever. I've kind of taken it from everybody and I kind of work my own thing and I'm still building, you know, building these habits and trying to get better every day. But yeah, I'd recommend learn sales and then, you know, learn to just be quiet, you know, loose lips sink ships. So <laughs> be quiet, ask questions and, and that'll help you um, throughout any, any type of sales process really. Awesome. Okay. So let's talk about three things. What is NLP? Yeah, neural linguistics uh, programming. So um, it's it's more just understanding and talking to someone and understanding like maybe mirroring or tonality. I mean, we can get in this forever, so it's too deep. But basically, really knowing how to either communicate and talk to somebody in person or over the phone. And my thing is, I want to be. I always try to be the best over the phone to the point where they feel like I'm in front of them. Um, I think it has a lot of impact. So yeah. <laughs> I love it. Okay, so now let's talk about The Greatest Salesman is yep. a book you've obviously read. You said the author was Ogmandino. I remember when I was in uh, junior high school, we used to do quotes. We would, we would re- recite quotes. And I, I remember specifically that two of the quotes that we used were straight from Ogmandino. Uh, my question for you is, when you read The Greatest Salesman, uh, what are the two takeaways or one, maybe one big takeaway that you got from, from Ogmandino's book? 
Yeah. And I think that's what the name of it was. Don't, don't hold me to that. But one thing I definitely took, the one thing that really touched me was just your wording. He would say, okay, please sign here, right? Instead of saying, please sign here, please authorize it right here. Or let's go over the contract. Instead of using contract, it's very, it's very like obligating, right? So you say, let's go over this agreement. And that's something I still to still do to this day. That's really cool. Wording. Yeah. That's really cool. I, I actually, I think we could do an entire podcast just on the different ways to word things because yeah. just, just in those few seconds, I learned so much and I see the wisdom of, of why you would say, you know, let's go over the agreement or why don't you authorize it here instead of sign here. That, yeah. That's good stuff. All right. So you, we also talked about John Martinez who spoke at one of our r- recent events and uh, John Martinez is known as probably the one and only, probably the best real estate sales trainer in the nation. And uh, I was really grateful to get to know him a lot. But you, you've, taken from, you've taken some of his courses, you've seen him in person, you've seen him live. What are two-ish things that you've learned from John Martinez in real, for real estate sales? Yeah, and I think anyone that's ever taken his courses or have heard him talk about this will relate immediately. Um, going negative, kind of just pulling away. Like you got to, for, for a client to give, for you to give something to a client, they got to give something back. Right. And if they're not giving enough, sometimes you got to say, well, maybe this, maybe this, uh, property isn't the, the best property for me, or maybe you're right. Maybe you should work with X and Y and Z. Um, so just going negative, something that I've always taken from his sales training courses that are really good. Another thing would be just, yeah, the why questions. Why this? Why that? Just keep asking why. Just really digging deep. And he has, um, on his training, he has a couple like really good questions that uh, you can really use for anything that is very clever. Um, I can't think about the top of my head because we're kind of just off the cuff right now, but uh, he has some good stuff for sure. Let me ask you then uh, on specifically on the going negative. So yeah. really, really just want to understand uh, how that could possibly help <laughs> to say, why don't you sell it to someone else or, or they're going to give you a better price or, you know, wouldn't you get a better price if you just sold this with a real estate agent or why don't you just keep the property and just rent it out? That's much better for you than selling it to me at a giant, giant discount, you know, wouldn't most people want to say something like, hey, there's no other options. You're pretty much screwed. You have to sell it to me. Sure. I, so going negative is almost another way of vetting in a sense. You find out how serious someone is or really what their situation may be. Not just that, by going negative, you can kind of you can kind of navigate where it's going to go. So uh, sometimes you, you, someone, let's say, uh, someone, say you're talking to someone and they're like, you know, this person's offering X, Y, and Z and you try to sell them and it's not working. Well, you're giving too much now. So maybe you got to take back a little bit. Hey, you know what? Maybe you're right. You know, that, you know, maybe, maybe you should work with that person and see how that goes. Or I, I just always, and I only go negative if I need to, right? There's a time and a place. And it's really when you're not getting any information from the person, right? If they're not giving you enough, then you got to go negative. If, if you're not going negative and you're just like, I'm your buyer. I'm all cash. Well, everyone's a buyer and everyone's all cash. So nobody cares. So how are you going to add more value in the marketplace outside of being a cash buyer and this, that, and the other? Well, sometimes going negative actually adds value. Incredible. I, I love that. Um, so let me ask you this. I had another question queued up and, I, and I'm hoping I remember it because I was like really paying attention to what you were saying because it was all really good information and made me forget what I was going to say. But 
the, the question that I can remember is, well, you are incredibly successful at, you know, one to four units. And you've been doing this for several years. And you, you make, you know, six figures on flips. And, um, and, and you wholesale for $48,500. <laughs> you make on one flip and wholesale, or one wholesale wholesale on, on your very first try. And all of a sudden, you go into these two fourplexes and, and you reposition them. And you make a lot of money on both of them. And then, again... Even further, you decide to partner up with uh, a, a good friend of yours. You're, you're working in North Carolina, and you're attacking 70-unit apartment buildings. Yeah. yeah. If you're so successful at doing the single family, whatever took you to uh, being wanting to look at uh, larger multifamily and, and holding your assets to, you know, to the end of your life and collecting cash flow, whatever made you decide to do that? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. And I actually have talked about this before with just friends, not on, on camera or audio, but personally, so there's a couple of reasons. Mainly, I could I could just stick doing what I'm doing and I'd be fine when I retire, but that's not fun to me. I, I got to grow. I got to keep pushing. So I rather, like I always say, it's really good to be uncomfortable. If you're not uncomfortable, you're not growing. So obviously it's situational. Don't take that for everything. But when it comes to building a business or investing in bigger assets that you're maybe not used to, I feel like I'm learning something and I'm, I'm, I'm growing and why go bigger long-term, obviously because of the passive income, right? I can, I can own more doors under one roof and get a lot of checks under one roof. So there, there's a couple of reasons behind that, but I, I just can't stand still. I got to keep growing. I, I, I love the answer. And let's, let's talk about like, how long does it take you to, to flip a, a single family house? How long would it take you to like, Market it, close on it, sell it, collect the check. Let, let's be conservative and say five months. Okay, five months to make five medium-sized figures, forty yeah. grand, something like that. Okay, yeah. and now let's talk about let's talk about what would it what kind of effort would it take you to buy one seventy-unit apartment building? Like how how many months if you start marketing now? How many months till you own something that's like around seventy units? So I, that's the plan. The plan is to own about 70 this year or get anywhere from 50 to 70. And it's literally identically the same situation, like the same marketing, the same stuff. I mean, maybe there's a little more you know, underwriting, right? Because now there's more units, you got to kind of do a little more due diligence and like the utilities and this, that, and the other, but it's very, very similar. So, you know, it's like, what does a billionaire do compared to a millionaire, right? Well, a billionaire is just doing bigger bigger problems or solving bigger solutions, right? So um, when I was looking at multi and now that I'm just getting into it, that's how I see it is it's, it's the same actions. Like if someone can buy, you know, a hundred units a year, why can't I? It, they're doing the same, they have the same amount of time. So. Okay. All right. So let's just say you buy a 70 unit uh, and I don't know if, if you want to say it's higher or lower than this, but let's just say it takes us six months to buy mm -hmm. a 70 unit. Sure. Now, I want to look at North Carolina and okay. the rents that you're seeing. Are you seeing 500 a unit, 1,000 a unit, something in between, something higher or lower? Sure. Obviously, this is just, I mean, this is geographics, like where are we specifically marketing? But let's, let's uh, say a two-bedroom, one-bath is anywhere from 700 to 1,200 bucks a month. Okay. And All right. All right. And, and so I, know that's, I know that's pretty broad, but that's because we're hitting a lot of areas. Okay. All right. So let's just say a thousand bucks a month per unit. So let me do the math on 70. 
times a thousand, I think that's seventy thousand dollars a month <laughs> yeah. or about a million bucks a year. Yes. Approximately a million bucks a year. Yeah, shy of. So six months to a million bucks a year or five months to a hundred grand. Yeah. Good stuff. Good stuff. We we anticipate a full reposition, depending on how big it is, we anticipate about a year to year and three months. Cool. Cool. Well, I think it's I think it's really cool that you are, you know, that you're the type of person that always likes to grow and you don't just decide to be stagnant or be okay with, you know, something that you're doing that you're obviously doing great at. Instead, you're very motivated, heavily, highly motivated to to grow and progress and to to get to the next level. I just I, my hats off to you for 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 doing that and for attacking something like this and it sounds like it, it will be a, an incredibly profitable thing for you. All right, so here's the last thing. What do you want to leave to the listeners? I know I know you got some wisdom in there. Sure. There's got to be something that you're like they need to do X. Well, so what is X? If you truly want to do real estate and you figure out why you want to do it and what, you know, how big you're trying to go, I just say just take massive action. Really just get out in the trenches and do. Um, you can study and you can read everything under the sun, but you're going to learn by doing, you know, you take a big loss, you're, you're going to remember that loss. It's a good education right there. If you make a big win, you're going to learn certain things that you did to create that big win. So mainly just take massive action. And if you don't have any money, okay, start knocking doors, post ads on Craigslist, network with everybody, you know, like do whatever it takes. I love it. And one of the things that I was really sad that it wasn't recorded because we had a pre-interview and we were talking for 15 or 20 minutes before I even started recording. And one of the things that you mentioned that made you successful was that in the beginning, even though you didn't always have the whole complete process in mind, you knew that you just had to lock something under contract and then figure it out. And that goes right into what you were just saying. Taking massive action, ready, aim, fire, or ready, fire, aim, ready, fire, aim. (laughs) And so I I really want to point that out is is like over time, now that you're buying these properties, now you're seeing where it could go. You're like, oh yeah, maybe we could wholesale it. Maybe we could flip it. Maybe we could do this. But in the beginning, you didn't really know all that. You were new to real estate, but you had decided, I'm just going to, all I, I, all I need to do is put my nose down and flip and get this under contract. And if I can get this under contract, I'll figure out the rest. What, what holds other people back though, is that because they don't have the answer of what if, and you know, it's funny, John Martinez said this on stage the other day. It's like, once I get it under, once I get it under contract, what if they ask me this? What if they, uh, what if I find out that it's this? What if I find out this, this? So I can't do it because I don't have all those answers. But Joshua Moore and many of the other people that are super successful, seven figure flippers out there never got hung up on too many details. They just jumped out and took the massive action. Josh, thank you so much. I'm really, really grateful that you came on the show and and taught us how to really ask appropriate questions and how to be able to find a way to to be go 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 dark or go negative with with yeah. people. These sales strategies are things that work no matter what we're selling, no matter what we're buying. The things that I learned from you today will benefit me 
in my large multifamily business? Absolutely. Even when we were talking about wholesaling. So I really appreciate you being so generous with your time, so generous with your knowledge and your experience. I, my hat's off to you, brother, and I'll let you go. But until next time, my friend, think outside the box. Thank you so much for listening to the Creative Real Estate Podcast. And if you got value from this episode of the podcast, please take the time to leave us a rating and review on iTunes. Give us a written rating and a review. We'd really, really appreciate it. I'm going to let you go. But until next time, think outside the box.